coffee drinker. I do, I do not drink coffee. I take my caffeine cold, uh, but, uh, but I am excited that you guys are starting to get excited about Easter. It's only taken me two years to get the church to get a little excited about Easter. Uh, it's good. That was, that was good. You guys, we said Easter, and everybody was like, yeah, that's going to be fun, because Easter is a big deal for us, right? Uh, okay. I feel like, feel like we're getting there. Baby steps, baby steps. Spring break feels like when we started the church, right? There's, where is everybody? Nobody, it's, it's cold and it's spring break and there's, a, there's no one up front again. Uh, it's, uh, I feel like we're back in the olden days where I first got here and everybody sat in the back three rows and it was just me up here by myself. Uh, so uh, we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, we've been walking through Galatians chapter 5, uh, well all of Galatians, we're in chapter 5 today, so if you've got your Bibles you can open up there. Um, but we've been talking about what it looks like to live under grace versus under the law. And today, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, the kind of beginning of chapter 5, we get to see feisty Paul. Um, so Paul, is he, he, he fluctuates between this like fighter and this pastor. And I really like that about him. Um, there's something about him where he gets fired up about some things and gets really feisty. Um, and, and sometimes in the church, I think we don't know how to fight or what we're fighting for. Uh, I was at the airport a few weeks ago. I was preaching at our D.C. campus, and um, I got off the plane, and my bag was just destroyed. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, um, but there was a giant rip in the back of it. It looked like a, a T-Rex got a hold of it. Um, somewhere between when I dropped it off and because there was like this big rip and it was crushed in certain spots. The thing that you're supposed to lift up was just broken in half. Um, and so I'm not sure what happened to my bag, but something large attacked it, I think. Uh, and so my wife and I went into like the Delta luggage kind of place and we're talking to them and they were super gracious and gave us a new bag. Um, but as I was standing there, I was kind of trying to get our Uber ride together and I was kind of blocking the door to the luggage area on my phone while I was doing this and and you know when you lose your bag you're typically not really happy um, and also if you're like me when you're in an airport you're typically not very happy uh, and so this man kind of walked through and he bumped into me while I was on my phone and and I just kind of had my head down I was not paying attention and then he kind of shoved me and and I, I'm sure he was unhappy that he lost his bag and I just looked up and just kind of was like, what's going on here? And this is what he said to me. He said, say something. <laughs> and I was like, this is, I promise you, this is all I could think of. Because sometimes what you do is you think of good things to say after it happens. And so I had a lot of, like, on the, on the ride to our hotel, I had like five of them that were awesome. Like, they would have been so good. My say-somethings would have been amazing. And some of them were redemptive, some of them not so much. Uh, but, but all I could say, he said, say something. And I said, I'm sorry you lost your bag? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could get out. That's all I could say to him. I, I, and, and so what we see here in Galatians chapter 5 is Paul learning what's going on when we fight. Because in that moment, my temptation was not to fight for that person, but was to fight against that person. Uh, and sometimes when we imagine what it looks like to fight for our faith or defend our faith, we imagine we're fighting against. Does that make sense? 
that there's someone that we're fighting against, that there's people that we're fighting against, that there's this battle that's going on, and we see the heroes of our faith fighting against sin, fighting against all of these different things. But what we don't see very often is people fighting for one another. And it's interesting because in, at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, what we see Paul doing is not fighting against something that we shouldn't do, but he's actually fighting for us. He's actually saying the way that this is happening that's not the way that we're going to live, and I'm going to get feisty about this, and I'm going to get fired up about this, because the gospel is good, and the thing that you're talking about is not good, and so I'm willing to fight for people. I'm willing to fight for the gospel. I'm willing to contend for my faith in such a way that I speak up, that I get fired up, that I get feisty, that I say something um, but I'm going to do it in such a way that advocates for someone else. The way that we do our, our kind of rhetoric, Christian rhetoric in a lot of different ways, is we're fighting against and not fighting for. There's all these like memes or like videos that you see on social media that are like, watch this Christian obliterate this guy with his argument. And, and everybody's like, 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 that's awesome. We want to obliterate. And I, I, every time I see that, I'm like, I don't really want to obliterate anyone. Like, I, I don't. We've got this kind of posture of, like, fighting, and we've got to fight against all of these things. And, 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 and I, I, I'm all for contending for our faith, but I think we have to discern what God loves and what God hates. I was reading a book this week that just had a chapter about the things that God hates and the things that God loves. In scripture, there's about 12 things that are listed that God hates. Uh, and it talks about he hates the haughty spirit. He hates uh, pride. He hates and names all of these things. None of the things that God hates are people. And then it talks about the things that God loves. And then at the end of the chapter, it just kind of said, we need to repent of the fact that sometimes we hate the things that God loves and we love the things that God hates and we get them confused. And so we've created this cultural rhetoric, this cultural battle, this cultural war where we're obliterating people and fighting against people rather than fighting for people. We've created this conflict where the guy bumps into us and says, something, says say something that we want to fight against them rather than fight for them. And we've created this us versus them mentality in the world. And, and, and Paul in, at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, just kind of writes a master's class of how to fight for something. Now, listen, I, I, there's things that I am very concerned about. There's things that I am willing to get feisty about. There's things that I'm willing to fight for. I am greatly concerned about abortion. I'm really pleased that there's good things happening in legislation about it. I'm also concerned that there's bad things happening. And I'm concerned about the cultural war that's going on. But we need to understand something, that when we engage in these issues, when we pray about them, when we fight for them, when we battle for the sanctity of life, because I believe in the sanctity of life from the womb to the tomb, from the beginning to the end, in all of us. And when we get fired up about these things, we have to understand our battle is not against a little 15-year-old girl who's going to the abortion clinic. What we actually should be fighting for is her. We're not fighting against her. We're fighting for her. 
And so we build these walls up and we create these diversions and these distractions and this rhetoric that puts us in a place where we're always fighting against something and not fighting for something. And I think sometimes we just need to step up and repent and say, God, sometimes I don't know how to fight. Sometimes I don't know how to step into this issue with a posture of love and grace. Sometimes I don't know how to get feisty about something without hurting somebody or obliterating them. And so we, we use wise discernment. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us and walk us into these things. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, for freedom, Christ has set you free. It's the most simple verse in maybe all of, this, of, of scripture and it's super obvious, but Christ has set you free so that you would be free. Like Jesus did not come to set us free to give us another set of things to enslave us to. This is what he's saying. He came to give us grace, to let us live under grace, to let us live in freedom, not to give us a whole nother set of subset to, 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 to give us slavery into. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't fall back into slavery to the law. Jesus came by grace through faith to set us free. And here's the things that he's taking on. He's taking on, one, this idea of a lifeless religion. He's been doing this for five chapters. We've been walking through this every single week. And what he's saying is Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not this lifeless thing where I clock in and I obey and I do all of this different stuff, but there's no life to it, no adventure to it, no joy to it, no excitement to it, no freedom to it, no fun to it. It's actually wonderful. The second thing is he's talking about a life of sin management. We talked about a transactional relationship with Christ. We've talked about a fear-based relationship with God. We've talked about behavior modification versus by grace through faith, living in Christ. So he's taking on all of these things and he's saying, listen, some of you, what you know is what you've been saved from, but you don't know what you've been saved for. You know that you've been saved from sin and death. You've been saved from eternity and hell. You know that you've been saved from condemnation, but you don't know what you've been saved to. And what we've been saved to, can I just tell everybody in the room, it's really good. Really, like no, it's really, it's really good. I'm serious, some of you are looking at me like, like this is the worst moment of your week. Like sometimes that's what we do when we come to church. We come in here and when we just come in and we just plop ourselves down and we're like, yeah, I'm gonna hear the pastor tell me about some rules and these kinds of things, I gotta listen, he's gonna go. Last week he went 45 minutes, I did. It was a little long, right? He could go long this week again, right? And, and so we plop down like there's nothing good happening. Can I just suggest that walking in the spirit, that walking with Christ is the best thing we can do in life? That there is great joy in it, that there's great adventure in it, that there's great excitement in it, that there's great hope in it, that it's not just the best way for me to live for me, it's the best way for me to live for others, that if I actually want to change the world and impact the world and love others and do something significant with my life, the best way to do that is to follow what God's asking me to do and walk in his ways and walk in the spirit, because when I do that, something comes alive, not just in me, but in others. I think Christians should throw the best parties in our community. 
I think we should be the most free, the most excited, the most full of joy. I think we should be the ones who everybody wants to hang out with because we know that we've been saved for freedom. So why are we continuing to walk in slavery? Why are we continuing to walk around like our faith is some kind of giant burden for us to bear? Eh, just got to obey today. No, I get to obey today because it's the best way to live. Christ did not come and die on a cross and rise from the grave so that we could be enslaved to another set of laws and rules and, and, and all of those types of things. We should be the most fun. We should be the most at peace. We should be the most non-anxious. We should be the most loving. We should be the most kind. We should be the most generous. We should be the most humble, the most forgiving, but we don't model that. When we planted our church in Louisville, Kentucky, we planted on the University of Louisville's campus. It's in the third poorest zip code in the United States. And we planted a church. It was all college students and the urban poor at the church. And one of the things we did when we first arrived on campus was we went to the college campus and we just did a survey. And it was just kind of three questions. And one of the questions was, what's your opinion of Christians? And... Um, remember the second part of the question is like what was your what's your opinion of Christians and and how could a Christian help you and every like it was like 90% of the people surveyed said Christians are hypocrites and they hate me like how how do we take I think this is why Paul's getting feisty like how do we take the good news that's in here and 90% of our culture believes that we're here to hate people and that we're hypocrites. It's because we don't understand what it looks like for us to live under grace. It's because we're still enslaved to living under the law. And that our posture betrays us over and over again. So speaking of things that aren't fun, Paul begins to talk about adult circumcision now. So, listen, I actually, I tried to do some research on this this week, and I went to Google, and I typed it, I, I, I typed in, and there were actually pictures, and so I ran really fast. Like, sometimes Google gives you more information than you need. Like, I don't, I don't need a photograph of this for me to find out more of what Paul's saying here in Galatians chapter 5. Um, but here's what's going on. There's a group of people who are all about the law, who are saying, listen, Yes, the Gentiles can come to faith, but in order for them to come to faith, they have to do something dramatic in order to be accepted by Jesus. And so the dramatic thing that they come up with is adult circumcision. It's actually called the circumcision party, which sounds like a terrible party, right? That's, that's what the group is called. Like, that's the worst party anyone's ever been to, ever, right? It's, and, and so it becomes like this ultimate sign of the law. Now, think about this. This is not for children. This is for adults. So what they're saying is, if you become a Christian, if you come to faith, then you're, getting, you're going somewhere, and some dude's got a knife, and there's no anesthesia for this, right? There's no medicine to settle this down. Fellas, I can already tell some of you are uncomfortable in the room. You should be. This is a terrible, terrible thing. And there's these people that are preaching this law and are saying, this is what you have to do in order to be loved. So they're saying, Jesus, plus this, and then you're forgiven. 
Jesus plus this really awkward, weird thing, and then you'll get grace, then you'll get forgiveness. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. That's not a bad pun, I don't think. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He's saying, here's, what, here's the problem. When we add to what Jesus has done by grace through faith, what we're proclaiming is the shadow of the gospel. It's not the truth. It's not the whole truth. And so anybody that tells you Jesus plus anything, they're preaching legalism. Jesus plus going to church every week means that you're saved. Jesus plus doing a quiet time. We've had a lot of talks about quiet time recently. Jesus plus quiet time, that's, that's salvation. Jesus plus serving in the nursery or serving with the middle school kids because those are always the most holy people because middle school kids are the worst humans on the earth, right? Uh, it's, it, if, it, Jesus plus taking, sorry, middle school kids in the room. They're all, they're all on spring break. We're good. This was a good week for that joke, right? It, or if you, Jesus plus communion, Jesus plus church, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus whatever. We, we do all these Jesus plus all of these things. And, and what we need to understand is Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus anything is legalism. And so what we do is we fluctuate between these two camps. These are the two camps that he's been laying out for five chapters now. One of those camps is legalism, which is the Jesus plus something. In this case, it's Jesus plus circumcision, which is a really bad plus, right? Or the other side of it is Jesus plus lawlessness. And so then there's other people who are saying, well, wait a minute. If I can just do whatever I want now, if I'm just free then I'm just gonna go do whatever I want. I'm gonna go fulfill whatever desire I have. And, and what they're doing is they're saying Jesus without love, which is lawlessness. So we fluctuate between legalism and lawlessness and we never find by grace through faith. We have a whole demographic of people who attend church every single weekend whose lives are not transformed in any way by the gospel, who don't look like they know Jesus, act like they know Jesus, who don't submit to his authority in any way in their life, who don't know him, walk with him, talk with him, understand him in any way, who say, yeah, I'm covered. That's lawlessness. That's not what we're advocating for here either. So we don't say Jesus plus whatever, because that's legalism. And we don't say, I get to go do whatever, because that's lawlessness. And Paul's getting mad about this. He's getting fired up about this, because what he sees is this is written, remember, this is written to a church. He's speaking to a church. And what he sees is people in his church who he loves, who are deciding to go be circumcised. And he's like, no, please don't do that. Don't, you don't have to do that. That's bad. I want to fight for you so that you don't have to do that. And then he sees people that are going off the deep end. And he says, I don't want you to do that either because I love you. And so what he's doing is he's fighting with a pastor's heart for people. Does that make sense? We fight 
for the right things because we're fighting for the people that we love, because we're laying down our lives for our friends. That's the posture of Jesus. So verse 7, he says this. He says, you were running so well. So who hindered you from obeying this truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you, which I love. The, the things that you're persuading, that are persuading you to go to this camp or this camp, none of those things are the voice of the Father. All right, scripture says that Jesus is our advocate, and so we become like him, and we become an advocate for one another. Um, my daughter is nine, and she, I, I recognize that she's getting older really fast, and she's my baby, right? So she's my last little one. Um, so I treasure cuddle and sitting on laps and those kinds of things because I, I may be like a year away from that happening. And so over the weekend, she, I was watching basketball, which, um, which at this point I'm just cheering for Kentucky and Duke to lose, right? That's all, that's all I'm doing. Because I, I think when Kentucky and Duke both win on the same day, somewhere like 10 puppies have to be sacrificed <laughs> because it's just a terrible thing, right? I, I don't know. I'm, uh, sorry. I know we've got a lot of Kentucky fans in here. Sorry. Uh, uh, but I was watching basketball, and she just climbed up on my lap and, and just kind of gave me a hug and just sat with me for a minute. And, and, and I think she's starting to realize that she's getting old for this. And, and, and so she, she said, Daddy, why, why, do you, why do I sit on your lap? And I was like, it's because you love me, baby. It's because we get to be close. It's because you're my little girl. And when you were a baby, I held you. And this is a way that I can still cuddle with you. And we're going to show affection to one another for the rest of our lives. That's going to be the way it's going to work. You may not sit on my lap forever. But we're going to show affection to one another. She said, well, why don't you ever sit on my lap? <laughs> I was like, well, baby, because daddy's really big. <laughs> and I would crush you. Uh, because I weigh over 200 pounds, and, uh, and that would not be comfortable or fun for you in any way for that to happen. And as I was preparing this week, I just started to think, like, under grace is the child sitting on the father's lap. Under the law is being crushed by the law. If we allow the law to sit on us, it crushes us. It destroys us. Because here's what the law never does. The law will never comfort you. The law will never remind you how deeply you are loved. The law will never whisper in your ear and tell you it's okay. The law will never lovingly encourage you to go. The law will just crush you sitting under it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you were running so well. What hindered you from obeying this? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. This persuasion is not the, the loving father that's calling you to something better. It's not this beautiful relationship. It's being crushed from being under the law. Then he says this, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's this beautiful image of, of kind of yeast and growth. And he says, listen, it's a small thing, and I know it's a small number of idiots who are going and being circumcised. And you may think that this is not a big deal, but here's the thing. If a little bit of this ideology, if a little bit of this bad theology, if a little bit of this Jesus plus whatever gets in the system, it corrupts the whole system. And so I'm willing to fight for it. 
Verse 10, it says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So he's being persecuted because he's opened up the gospel and said it's for everybody. And so there's a lot of people that are angry about Paul. And so Paul's saying, if I was still saying this, then I wouldn't be persecuted by everybody. Everybody wouldn't be fired up about what's going on here. And then he goes on to say this. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And this is where Paul gets really feisty. Now, somebody asked me when I was, I, 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 somebody asked me once what my favorite verse was, and I said this as a joke. Um, some of you think that. It's verse 12. It says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. My buddy, when he, uh, my buddy, when he's asked what his favorite verse is, he says, 1 Corinthians 14, and it's, uh, the verse is, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than everyone else. Um, that's what he tells people, so I don't really do that. It's a joke. It's, we're going to be okay, guys. It's like, some of you guys think that the Bible's not fun. Paul is saying, if y'all want to talk about circumcision, just go cut it off. That's in, that's. It's right here, guys. I'm, I'm telling, it's right here. Some of you are looking at me like you're offended right now. I didn't write it. I just talk about what other people wrote every week. I promise you, that's all I do. And, and here's the thing. A, a little leaven works both ways. A little leaven can corrupt the system and destroy it, which is why he's saying, just get rid of it. Just stop. But a little leaven can also make the system work. A little bit of faith thrown into the church grows the faith of everybody. A little bit of love thrown into the church grows the love of everybody. A little bit of generosity, a little bit of kindness, a little bit of the Holy Spirit's power, a little bit of authority, like all of these things, these little things are the yeast that grow us together and the system begins to grow. Verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Love should always cause us to fight for one another. Always. It should always cause us to be like Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father and advocates for his children. It's a posture that we've lost in our culture. We don't know how to advocate for somebody else. We're so wrapped up in consumerism and individualism that the only people we know how to advocate for is ourselves and maybe our closest relationships. And what Paul is saying is when we live under grace, what we do is we use our love for one another. We don't use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but we use our freedom to serve one another. We use our freedom so that others may taste and see that the Lord is good. I was pastoring and, and, and I met up with this guy who was discipling me and pouring into me and investing into me and, and he looked at me one day and he said, hey, I, I, I wonder if the life that you're living, anybody in your church would want to live. Because if you're calling them to obedience in Christ and you're calling them to walk with him and walk in the spirit and you're miserable living the life that you live, why would anybody else want that? And some of us, we walk around like we're living this miserable, terrible existence when the beauty and the freedom and the grace and the mercy and the hope and the joy and the peace, next week we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, all of that stuff is available to us and it's present and it's good. 
So I, I want to live a life that's worth repeating. I want to live a life that other people look at it and say, I, I, I want some of that. I want some of that joy. I want some of that peace. I want some of that hope. I want some of that faith. I want some of that grace. I want some of that love. I want some of what's going on in the church. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 15, I, I just, guys, I don't, I don't know of a more fitting passage for our culture right now. We're coming back to this in political season, just so you know. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We live in a world right now where we're fighting against and not fighting for. We live in a world right now where we're obliterating each other and we're biting and devouring one another. And the only result of that is everybody gets consumed. The weight of the law crushes all of us. We've, we've, we've spent the last few weeks talking about the consequences of living under the law, both for our own hearts and for the hearts of those around us. And when we live under the law, it crushes our own hearts and it crushes the hearts of those around us. When we're living in a say-something world where we're just waiting to fight against one another, Everybody gets devoured. And here's the thing. I think we don't think that love is as powerful as what it is. I think that we live in a world of like 80s love songs. And we think that that's what love is. Like love is Richard Marks. Awkwardly, some of you, I'm showing my age. So, all right. I, I don't know who young people are that sing, but insert the cheesy love song person now into that. I don't, do, do, do we sing love songs anymore? I think it's all just about, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. Um, we, we think that love is like this empty platitude. We, we don't actually believe that love has the power to transform or to change. And so we're getting ready to celebrate Easter and it's going to be really fun. And we're going to come in here incredibly expectant to meet with God and to celebrate what he's done. And on that day, we celebrate that love can change the world for us. We celebrate the fact that love is not some thing that we do for the kids down in the kids ministry. That love is not some lesson that we teach through veggie tales. But that we actually believe that love can transform lives. And I, I just want to say to all of you guys, like, I absolutely believe that every single one of you are carriers of the love of Christ. And every single day you have opportunities to love and to fight for and to advocate and to lay down your life for people all over the place. And there's some people in this room who I learned so much by watching them love. I need those people in my life. Because we need to urge each other on in love. We need to call each other to a deeper love for one another and for the world. And we need to learn to fight for and not against. And so here's the challenge for this week. The band's going to come and we're going to worship and take communion and come to the table. And 
as we do, I, I just want you to be thinking about, is there someone in your life that you have been fighting against and the Father is inviting you to fight for? Is there somebody in your life who you have seen as an enemy that maybe you're called to see now as a friend? Is there somebody in your life who is mad that they lost their luggage <laughs> and your job is not to fight against them but to actually figure out how to love them? And let's just see what happens this week. I'd love to hear some stories this week. It's spring break, right? It's, it's a week where people are off work, kids are off school. There's going to be lots of opportunities for us to interact with people and love for one another. And, and I, I just wonder how much our posture changes when we just simply say, Lord, would you teach me how to fight for and not against? Would you teach me how to love and serve? Would you teach me how to lay down my life for my friends? And would you teach me to be the type of person that gets feisty when I see that God's people are living under this shadow of the gospel? But the reason I get feisty is because I don't want to defend and prove that I'm right and be the one that has all the answers. It's because I genuinely want people to live a free life in the Spirit. I... I uh, we've been talking about this for many, many weeks. We've walked through five chapters of Galatians, and I still think there's some people in this room who would say, like, I just don't have uh, an exciting relationship with God. I'm bored. I don't hear from him. I, there's, there's nothing going on, and, and I feel like it's all rules and regulations, and I wake up, and I dread opening my Bible, and I dread praying, and I dread all of those things. Can I just suggest the reason you dread all of those things is because you're sitting with the law on your lap instead of cuddling up with your father. And there is a beautiful relationship that is available to every single person in this room. I love my job because what I get to do every single week is stand up in front of people and say, he's good. He's good. Like there's nothing better. If there's, I don't know much, but the one thing I know is that Jesus Christ has set me free. He has transformed my life. He has changed my relationships. He has changed my marriage. He's changed the way I approach work. He's changed the way that I parent. He's changed everything about me for the better. And anything that's good in me is from him. And so if, if you're feeling that burden of like, I just don't feel alive right now. I just feel dead in my faith. I feel bored, I feel empty. I, I would just love for us to pray for you today. We're gonna have the ministry team come and they're gonna come right up front. And I, I just wanna pray freedom over this room. I, I wanna pray joy over this room. I wanna pray love over this room. And so let's stand together. I'm gonna pray for us and then the ministry team's gonna come and I would love for you, if you're feeling stuck, if you're one of those guys that's wrapped in the little thing, what are those things called? The gallows? I don't know what it's called. Well, if you're stuck in that kind of thing, there's freedom today and it's good. So Heavenly Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would breathe freedom in this place. 
I pray that you would bring resurrection. I pray that you would bring joy. I pray that you would bring peace when there's been anxiety. I pray that you would bring hope where there's been hopelessness. I pray that you would bring joy when there's been anger and frustration. I pray that you would bring to life a faith that is dead in somebody in this room today. And I pray that you would do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to move and work and speak in this room right now. We pray that you would breathe over us a fresh breath, a fresh wind of freedom, a fresh measure of grace for all of us to carry. And I pray that every single day we cuddle up to you, Father. And we know that we're going we're gonna to show affection for the rest of our lives. And we're going to be with you for the rest of our lives. And so today, Father, I pray that you would break the chains of flaw. You would give somebody a whole new paradigm. In your name we pray. If that's you,